and welcome. This is the New Testament Setting Podcast. My name is Benjamin Browning. I am a pastor in New Orleans, and I also have a PhD in New Testament from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So today, this is our first real episode um, getting into it. Last week we did introduction. Today we're really jumping into the meat of the New Testament setting. So when we think about New Testament setting, often we think about the, the history and the social and cultural context behind the New Testament. But if we're not careful, we will miss the most important part of the setting of the New Testament. And that is the Old Testament. Um, More specifically, the history of the people of Israel. So, what I want to do today is to jump into some of the backstory of the New Testament that we see recorded in the Old Testament. And to try to understand um, what is happening um, in the Old Testament and how that influences um, New Testament writers. Because... When you have the New Testament being written, the people writing it are thinking about the Old Testament. The people who are um, interacting with Jesus or interacting with Paul or Jesus himself and Paul himself or Peter or any of the apostles, they are acting and interacting with the Old Testament in mind. So if you don't understand that Old Testament background, you're not going to be able to understand the New Testament. So, what's important about the Old Testament? What is recorded in the Old Testament that is so helpful for us to understand? Well, the first thing we have to understand is the covenant relationship that God has with the people of Israel. So, where do we go from here? What do I mean by the covenant relationship that God has with the people of Israel? So, what we learn from the Bible... What we, what we see in Genesis is that God creates the world. He creates the universe. He creates Adam and Eve. You have the fall of Adam and Eve. And then you have sin introduced into the world. And then everything just goes wrong. Cain kills Abel. You have evil, evil, evil. And then all of this wickedness culminates in God flooding the earth. And then you having Noah and his family being saved alone. Then you have this whole repopulate the earth phase that happens. And then after that, what do you have? The Tower of Babel. So when the Tower of Babel occurs in the Old Testament, you have a spreading of languages. So people begin to spread over the world. And then the Old Testament zeroes in on one person and his family. And that person is Abraham. So now, I know I just ran over a lot of stuff in Genesis, but now what you see in the Old Testament, you see the Old Testament focuses in on this one figure, Abraham. And God promises Abraham that he is going to bless the world through Abraham. That he is going to make many nations out of Abraham and his descendants. And specifically, 
there's going to be one descendant of Abraham that is going to be highlighted. So Abraham actually has more than one, even more than two children. He actually has multiple children. But he only ends up having one child from his wife, his his first wife, Sarah. Now, Sarah, and many of you know the story, Sarah, when we first see her, is barren. She cannot have children. And when she does finally have the child of promise, Isaac, eventually Isaac is going to marry someone called Rebekah. And then eventually Isaac and Rebekah are going to have a son whose name is Jacob. They also have a son named Esau. But he's not going to be as important as we're looking towards the New Testament, although he will come back up in the New Testament, particularly in Romans. But as we look at the story of Jacob, Jacob's name is going to be changed, and it's going to be a name that you're very familiar with, and that name is Israel. So when Jacob has children, his 12 of his children, he's going to have, his children are going to funnel into what's called the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that gets a little confusing because Joseph's two sons are going to be called half-tribes, um, Ephraim and Manasseh. We're not going to get too far into that right now. But these 12 tribes, these start to constitute a nation. And this nation is called the nation of Israel. Before moving on with the story of Israel, we need to understand all the way back in Genesis what God promised would happen to um, this nation that would descend from Abraham. What God promised Abraham was that not immediately, but far into the future, about 400 or so years into the future, that the land of Canaan would eventually be inherited by Abraham's descendants. So if you look in Genesis at the story of Abraham, you see Abraham looking forward to when he's eventually going to, when his people are eventually going to inherit the land that he has been traveling in or living in as a stranger, as a foreigner. And this land of Canaan is the promised land, the land that eventually would be controlled by the people of Israel. So what happens is God tells Abraham, your descendants will eventually get this land. So now, flash back forward to Israel, Jacob, having his children. Jacob has multiple wives. He ends up having a lot of children, and those children, in turn, have children. Eventually, through a series of events, I encourage you to read Genesis. It is a great story. Through a series of events, um, Israel's whole family, including all of his sons and his daughters and all of their extended family, end up in Egypt. Many, many hundreds of years pass. Eventually, they're going to be enslaved. Again, you can look at in Exodus for that information. Eventually, the people are going to be enslaved, and then they're going to 
over time, over these several hundred years, they're going to go from just being a family to being really a nation. A nation that is composed of a very, very large number of people. And they're going to be enslaved, and they're going to be taken advantage of, and eventually God is going to deliver them. Again, you can look at uh, this story in Exodus. Great story. Don't want to ruin that for you. Go read Exodus. But God is going to use Moses, again, a very important figure in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew tradition. Moses is going to, through the power of God and through the use of all these plagues, is going to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, that people is going to ultimately be led in to the promised land, Canaan, also known as Israel. Right? They're going to be led into the promised land by a guy named Joshua, the protege of Moses. Now, before going into the story of Joshua and the people of Israel inheriting the land, we need to talk about something very important. And that is Moses and the covenant, what's called the Mosaic Covenant. This is probably the most important thing when it comes to understanding um, the people of Israel, how they view themselves in connection with um, their God, and how that plays out in the New Testament. So, before we can move and get Israel, get the people of Israel into the promised land, We have to look at them in the wilderness with God at Mount Horeb, also called the Mountain of God. And here at Mount Horeb, this is, again, in Exodus. You can see this. Um, At Mount Horeb, God gives them a covenant. Now, a covenant is basically an agreement. Um. It's similar to what we would think of as a contract. Um, But it's a little bit different in the ancient world in that um, it is usually a contract between two people where a god or gods um, is the one who ensures that the contract is carried out. In the case of the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant between God and the people of Israel... Um, In the case of that covenant, it is a covenant between um, God and Israel. So God is both one of the signatories, so to speak, and the one who is in charge of making sure that it's carried out. So it is what we call a conditional covenant. And what that covenant says is, people of Israel, if you carry out your end of the bargain then I, as your God, will carry out my end of the bargain. So basically, the people of Israel agreed to be a people set apart for the Lord. They agreed to be God's special people meant to serve God and to show the nations who God is. Now, that comes with certain requirements. Now, most of us think of the Ten Commandments. 
That's in Exodus, there in chapter 20. Uh, we think of the Ten Commandments. You can also see them pop up again in Deuteronomy. But we think of the Ten Commandments as the big laws, and that's true. Those Ten Commandments are a huge portion of this covenant between God and the people of Israel. But you also have to understand that the people of Israel have a whole list of specific ways in which they're supposed to interact with God, interact with each other, and interact with the nations around them. And these specific practices are going to inform everyone else that they are a set-apart people, that they are God's special, unique people. So you can see these laws. You can see some of them in Exodus. Um, you got the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and then you have a lot of rules in Exodus about how the people of Israel are supposed to interact with God, with their priests, and with their uh, tabernacle, eventually temple practices. But then after Exodus, you get onto the book of Leviticus. Now, in Leviticus, this is where you get into some very specific rules about how the people of Israel are supposed to interact on their day-to-day lives as a way of keeping up their side of the covenant, of a way of showing the world that they are set apart for God. Um, So you see these specific rules um, about their daily lives and their daily practices as well as their ritual practices in worshiping the Lord. So... Some of these practices seem really odd to us, but we need to understand that God is teaching this people two things. One, he's teaching them, he's creating a nation. He's teaching them how to interact as a nation. They did not have laws. They were a group of people who did not have this long legal system, and he's giving them this legal system. So, Um, If we look at Leviticus, we see some laws that seem unusual. We see some like, um, how do you respond to lepers? Um, How do you know if a person is ritually clean or ritually unclean? Um, What should you do? um, What should you do if a person is is attacked and murdered? Um, What should you do if property is damaged? Um, What kind of clothing can you wear? What kind of clothing can you not wear? What kind of food can you wear? What kind of food can you not wear? And to modern readers, some of these laws, like the ones about property damage or murder or those types of things, really make sense. But others we look at and they seem just really odd. But what we have to understand is that these laws in Leviticus are specifically geared towards the people of Israel to tell them, one, how do they interact in terms of as a legal system, but more importantly, how do they specifically act so that when other nations look at them, they will know that this is a special people set apart for the Lord. So now you have some moral practices that make a lot of sense, But you also have some practices that are really ritual practices. They're practices about 
how do we as a specific people interact with each other and with the nation so that we can point others towards God. So after Leviticus, again, Leviticus can be hard to read, but it is worth the read. Um, After Leviticus, we get to Numbers. Numbers, there's some really interesting story in Numbers continuing to talk about how the people in 40 years wandering in the wilderness, um, how that interaction looks. But in Numbers, one of the big important things in Numbers is you see God organizing his nation, letting them know how they need to organize themselves, what tribes go where, how do they organize themselves as a people, and um, you really kind of see the numbering of how many people of each tribe there was um, going into the wilderness and as they're about to come, specifically as they're about to come out of the wilderness and go into the promised land. So then we get to Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is quoted a lot by Jesus. Um, Very much worth the read. Uh, The greatest commandment that you know about, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's from Deuteronomy. So it's important for you to know about Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy is really kind of a second giving of the law where you see um, some clarification about the law. You see a kind of a new presentation of the law right before the people of Israel go into the promised land. And the traditional authorship is Moses. Deuteronomy says like this is the speech from Moses right before they go into the promised land. And really, this is the last kind of picture of this is how we as the people of Israel should live in order to show proper respect to keep our side of the covenant and show proper respect to our God. And this is right before that baton is passed off from Moses to Joshua. Now, I've gone through a lot of, a lot of things And really try to help you understand a couple of things. One, that the people of Israel are are seen as a unique, special people of God. They are the covenant people of God. God has a special relationship with them. Now, that is so important. If you don't get that idea, this identity, um, then you will not get the New Testament. Because all of the, the story I just told you, this is the basic, I skipped over some stuff, but this is the basic identity that the Jewish people, that the Israelites agreed on. This is the basic Jewish identity that the Israelites understood. We are God's covenant people. He has delivered us out of Egypt. We are the descendants and seed of Abraham. And because of that descendant from Abraham, because of that covenant that we have made with with God, we are God's special people and we have a unique relationship with him and we have certain requirements that we as God's people need to keep as part of that devotion for God. So, most 
Israelites, pretty much all Israelites or, or Jews, would have taken these first five books, what we call the Pentateuch, what they would call the Torah. They take those first five books, and they are essential. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, uh, the um, what we call the Essenes, um, Zealots, and other different sects and groups within uh, Jude- ancient Judaism in the first century would have looked at least at those first five books, the story I just told you. And they would have seen that as being extremely important to their religious and cultural and national identity. So, as we go forward in next in our next episode and we pick up the story of Joshua and we look at the people going into uh, the promised land, we need to understand this essential reality about the people of Israel. And that is that they have a covenant, an agreement. They have this covenant relationship with God. God is their personal God who has cared for their people and who has promised to take care of their people. So, next week, we will see what happens when they go into the promised land and we will see that the people of Israel really do not carry out their end of the covenant. They don't follow through on their end. And that's going to create all kinds of issues that we'll see as we finish talking about the people of Israel and that Old Testament story. If you like this podcast, please like and follow and share with friends. It really helps the channel out. Thanks.